We're going to go through all of Jude this morning. And one of the things I love about Jude is it's one of the few books of the Bible where you can just go through the whole thing in one, in one swoop. Um, there is, I've always loved studying Jude. It, it sends you in a lot of different directions if you really look, look into some of the Old Testament and even apocryphal references in it. And you can really find, find out some interesting things. Um, but I remember a long time ago, probably 12, 10 or 12 years ago during the CTS, uh, on Sundays we would just sort of hang out Sabbath together and, and um, we started doing um, Sunday night just not really Bible studies, more just reading the Word together and, and talking about it. And Jude was one of the first books we did. And, and so we decided to try and do all of the the short books in the Bible and just do them in one sitting at each Sunday. We called it Sunday Shorties. So Jude was, <laughs> Jude was the original Sunday Shorty, uh, as we called it. We did Obadiah and I think 2nd and 3rd John and I forget what else, but it was really great. How's it going? Hey. I'm never quite sure if someone's coming in to visit or if they're on their way somewhere else. So uh, let's, let's pray. In the, the, what I'm going to do is just read through Jude and stop and make some comments and then offer some thoughts at the end. Father, I pray that you would open your word to us. Thank you for the riches of your word. And uh, God, thank you for the past three years of um, just solid truth that has uh, really come forth through our uh, trip through all the the Bible. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us ears to hear, uh, not just today, but the things that you have laid down into our lives over the past three years. Lord, call those things to remembrance. Help us to live your word, not just to be knowledgeable, uh, but to be doers of your word. And so I pray that for uh, all of our time in the word, but especially this morning, Lord, that that this would be a book that we can learn and and also do. And I pray that you would help uh, send your Holy Spirit to help us make that bridge from what it says to what we should do. We need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, um, I'll say that this Jude is a a, uh, physical brother of Jesus. Um, He was one of Jesus' brothers who actually during Jesus' ministry, and this is listed in a couple Gospels, did not believe in him until after uh, his death and resurrection, but then became part of the, the core leadership in the church. And so Jude here is not one of the apostles, one of the 12 apostles, but he is familiar, I mean intimately familiar, with uh, Jesus. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he says, you know, I, I, I was originally going to write to you just talking about salvation, talking about the gospel, talking about the fact that we have 
been delivered by the faithfulness of God in sending his son to become a man, to take on all of the fallenness of humanity and to reverse it. Uh, I wanted to write to you about all that, about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his glorification. But I, I, I couldn't in good conscience. I, I couldn't just go and, and talk about that because there's a problem. There are, there are people who would hear, who would join in that conversation happily, who should not be happily joining in that conversation, who don't understand what salvation is. And here's how he describes these people. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. So sometimes you, uh, when Paul or, or Peter or Jude here talks about these people who have crept in, um, so you get this picture of like these shadowy figures and, you know, through these creeps off in the corner. But that's not what, that's not, they weren't unnoticed because they were sneaky and stealthy. They were unnoticed because they were good guys. They were, everyone liked them. Right? That's what made them hard to notice. They were like everybody else. Okay, so they weren't like sneaky and nefarious. I think sometimes there were spies sent in, but sometimes there were just people who were totally bent inward on themselves, but kind of knew how to speak the language and get around and be part of the community. And so he's saying, listen, these people have crept in unnoticed, and they were long ago designated for this condemnation. This condemnation being what I'm about to describe to you using lots of Old Testament references. So he says, these men were long ago designated for condemnation. And you can read that and say, wait, so these guys were just, God's had these guys' numbers for a long time. But I think what he's saying is, listen, these kinds of people go way back. And God has thoughts about these kinds of people. And these thoughts about these kinds of people go way back. Now let me describe to you just how far back this problem goes and how long God has been fighting this issue in his people, right? So this is, this is an old thing, guys, and this is a perennial issue. That's what he's saying. Long ago, these men were designated for condemnation. God knows who these people are, and he has a special place prepared for them. <laughs> Ungodly people, and this is really the key verse in all of Jude, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality... And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So there's something about the gospel, obviously, that they were preaching and living, that warrants a certain level of freedom. They're preaching freedom. They weren't preaching the law. They weren't preaching, you have to do this, that, or the other to be accepted into the people of God. They were teaching, wow, Christ has come down. He has broken down the walls. He has, he has broken down the barriers, and now he is inviting all nations, all peoples, to come into his family. And that's grace. That is grace. Now, the way that you pervert grace is, is you take God's open door, and you bring all of your mess straight through that open door. <laughs> and pollute the people of God with it. That's how you pervert grace. All right, my, our doors are open. I have shed my blood so that you can now become a part of the family of God. What that means is you need to now 
renounce your old life and become recreated, reborn in the image of Jesus. Those are two aspects of grace. Okay? And we pervert grace when we use grace. Another way to say sensuality would be uh, license to sin. When you use grace to excuse sin in your life. Particularly, he says sensuality. And I think there's a, there's a heavy emphasis in Jude on sexual immorality. But sensuality is broader than that. Right? This is living. He talks a lot about passions. Okay? This is just living according to your passions. Okay? And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's a very wise way to put that. Those who pervert grace into sensuality, who use it as a license to keep sinning, as Paul says in Romans 6, how we continue in sin that grace may abound, by no means. Right? This is kind of the same issue. Their problem is that they don't understand the lordship of Jesus. You see that? They, they, those go, they go hand in hand. People who are prone to use grace to excuse sin don't really understand what it means to call Jesus master. Because what does it mean to give Jesus mastery over your life? It means that you renounce your right to pleasure, your right to satisfaction according to the flesh. Okay? So he's not calling them to, these people don't want to work hard and do the right things. He's saying they don't want to call Jesus the Lord. That's really at the heart of the issue. All right, so now he's going to list, and he's talking probably to a largely Jewish audience. And the, the Jewish culture of that day was highly uh, literate. Like they, they told stories. It wasn't just the Old Testament. They had large bodies of religious writings. They had uh, bodies of writings that were rabbi commentaries on the Old Testament. And they would, just, they would pass this stuff back and forth. It was in and out of the synagogue. So these were like common knowledge stories. So when Jude starts rattling off all of these references to Old Testament and beyond, <laughs> and the Apocrypha and the, the Pseudepigrapha, all these obscure texts, these were not obscure. These were just part of the common life in a Jewish community, the, the common stories. Like what common stories do we have? You know, I would say one in our church, we love the Narnia books. Like, we put on the ballet, and our kids play with Aslan the lion, and, and we, you know, all this stuff. So if I just said, yeah, it's like the white witch with the Turkish delight, or it's like the, the, the dwarf in this, and, and anyone who's from the outside would be like, what are they talking about? But for us, it's like, oh, yeah, it, it triggers something immediately. That's what's going on here. Um, so he says, I want to remind you. So it's something they already know. He's touching something they know. Although you once fully knew it. So this is, this is basic stuff, guys, but I need to remind you. Okay? The situation calls for a strong reminder. Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. So there's, there's going to be three quick examples here. Um, just boom, boom, boom. Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who didn't believe. Right? The deliverance from Egypt is the great, it's the great allegory of salvation in the Old Testament. Deliverance through the Red Sea is about baptism, right? We, we came out. And what he's saying is, yeah, that was the start. <laughs> that was the beginning. But people were then called to 
to have faith and put all of their trust and depend on God fully. And those who didn't do that, some of them got swallowed up in the ground. Some of them died from a plague. Right? So salvation is just the beginning. The, the, the door to the people of God is just the beginning of his work in your life. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. These three quick examples show places where God has dealt with people like this in the past. God has dealt with them. Here's how. People in the wilderness who refuse to trust him. Judgment. The angels, and we think that he's referring to Genesis 6, a particular interpretation of Genesis 6, where the sons of man go into the daughters, sons of God go into the daughters of man. The angels leaving heaven to, be, to have association with uh, humans. He's saying, they overstepped their bounds. Guess what happened to them? They're being kept in chains. Which, by the way, the, the word kept there is the same word that he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. <laughs> Wrap yourself up in it. Conceal yourself in it. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there? He says, it was just like those angels who wanted to pursue unnatural desire, these men wanted to sleep with the, the God, the, they were angelic beings. They wanted to overstep their bounds. They wanted to pervert what God meant for good. Guess what happened to them? Punishment, judgment. And I want to say that as we, I want to say this toward the beginning here, that as we think about, our, all right, how do we, how do we live according to this book? I want to point out the fact that Jude is talking about events that happened like around 2,000 years before he wrote this. Okay. Jude was written about the same distance of time from us. All right, so what, what we're dealing with here is perennial issues in the people of God. So if we think that this is like, all right, this is sort of a first century unapproachable problem. No, there's stuff for us here. And the very way that he's using these examples should tell us, oh, yeah, this happens in every generation. This happens through all history in the people of God. All right, verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses and this is from an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They don't understand grace. They don't understand what it means to be saved. They don't understand what it means to be part of the people of God. And they like, but they like to blab about it. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. They're just like animals. They're, 
they're following their urges, just like animals would, and it's those urges that are destroying them. Woe to them. And then we have another quick triple, <laughs> triple allusion here. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, these are just brief things that open up just whole stories like, um, what's it called? Cautionary tales in the Old Testament. Okay? Cain, um, the interesting thing about all three of these is they all affect the establishment of the people of God. Cain, he, went, he was cursed, and he went and he founded a city out of which arose the need to have a, a global flood. <laughs> Cain's city was the city of man, and he named it not after God, but after his son. I'm going to name this. This is, this is the city of man. Balaam was a prophet who taught Balak how to, how to manipulate God's blessing, how to, how to seduce the people of God to expose themselves to the only way that, that they could fall out of favor with God. Because <laughs> he says, I want you to curse the people of God. And he says, I can't curse the people of God. They're the blessed people. But I will say that if you took some of your prettiest women and just kind of went over there by the border, they'd probably bring the curse upon themselves. Right? This is what Balaam did. Um, and then Korah's rebellion, that was a, that was a tribe that, that challenged Moses' authority in the book of Numbers. Um, these are all people that, because of their selfishness and their inward and their living according to their own desires, have exposed the people of God to great harm and divided the people of God. These are hidden, and he's saying, there's people like that in your church service. (laughs) These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, which is what one of the ways they named their, their gatherings. As they feast with you without fear. So these guys, they're, they, they're at ease. They're not mm, conniving. They love it. They're having a great time. They're feasting without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. And that's a major... Uh, that's a major topic in the prophets. The woe to the shepherds. The, the worst shepherd you can think of is one that doesn't feed the sheep. I mean, it's like you have one job <laughs> and you're feeding yourself. So you, you're, there's no use of you being called a shepherd. And then he just rattles off all of these, um, these real poetic uh, insults, really. Waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. These people always show up to antagonize the people of God, and God always has a place for them. That's what he's saying. Listen, it's going on now. It has gone on forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam. This goes all the way back to the seventh from Adam. Even back before that, to all the way back to Cain. Prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes 
with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of the, all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. <laughs> Do you think they're ungodly? And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. All right, so that is the, the exposing and the denouncing of the false teachers, those who have crept in unnoticed. But you, faithful, loved by God, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. In other words, it's always happened in the past. It's going to keep happening. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. The scary thing here is that they're unnoticed. They have a great time at church. And everyone likes them. This is scary. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in, in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, which is a direct opposite to being worldly and devoid of the Spirit. Built up on the foundation of faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. And this is a packed two verses here. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And that's sort of the opposite of feasting without fear. Right? Hey, we're, we're covered in grace. My life is full of lust and, and ungodly passion and a manipulation and everything's bent in on me. But I can raise my hands and have a great time in worship. Um, he says... You've got to have mercy on those who doubt. Some, you need to snatch them out of the fire. Sometimes you need to show mercy, but you also, you've got to be careful because that's going to that's stain the flesh. God, when he comes for you, he comes after even the garment stained by the flesh. You've got to get all the way down, strip everything off so that nothing stays. And the, the garment here is like, it's like the under cloak. Like it's the, it's the closest thing to your skin. And he says, you got to get, get every layer of sinfulness out. Because it's all stained by the flesh. And then he ends with this. This is wonderful. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God, uh, before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> um, so
So it's pretty clear. There's a, there's a clear situation. He describes the people with, with great clarity. He describes what God thinks about these people with great clarity. And uh, simplicity, but also, I mean, it's, he's passionate. I mean, this is a rhetorical appeal here. And um, the first thing I wanted to say is that this is absolutely a book for the 21st century. Okay, we can, we can feel a cultural distance from what was the love feast and who are these people and, and what's, the, what's life like, what's everyday life like. And we can try and peer into that and get confused. But what's absolutely clear? That there have always been people among the people of God who follow their passions. That this is destructive to the people of God. And that God seeks to get these people out from among his people. And he has a place of judgment and he wants to keep them away from his people. Okay? And so I, I do want to point out that, that there's just as much distance from Jude to Cain or to Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, as there is from us to Jude. As a way of saying that this, this does apply to us. Maybe not the cultural things that are mentioned here, and maybe, not, we, maybe don't, we don't quite understand the nuance behind these stories that he's alluding to. But what do we know? Uh, what, what is perennial? And it is the fact that people live according to their own passions. And that people can use the mercy of God to remain in that state of bondage to their own passions. Because of God's graciousness, he makes himself vulnerable to that. Right? That's what grace is so amazing that you can abuse it. Right? But God doesn't wink at any of that. And he sees when it's going on and he detests it. So I think in bringing this forward for us and saying, all right, so what what do we do? Are we going to interrogate everyone in this room and, and try and <laughs> figure out who among us is, is a feasting without fear. Um, no, I think we need to look at ourselves and say, you know, how much, how much do my passions still play into the way that I relate to God? Do, do, are there things in my life that I excuse because of grace? Do I do, for example... You know, how do you, how do you pray? Um, how do you pray for someone who's going through a situation? Um, you can pray for them in a, in a worldly way. When you hear people pray, you hear what they think about God. And sometimes I hear people pray things for people that I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you should be praying that. Right? I'm not sure if that's how God is thinking through the situation. For example, someone going through a challenge in their life. Uh, they have a hard boss. Or they, they are struggling to relate to their parents correctly. Um, especially sort of in college groups, you, you, you might hear someone pray, you know, I just pray that they would be able to forgive their mom and dad, that they would be able to, you know, show the grace of God to them, to those difficult people. Or that's an ungodly way to pray. Right? We should be praying, I pray that, that, you would, that you would allow, that you would break this person's heart and that they would see their own wickedness. 
and, and uh, in gratitude, and that you help them to repent and honor their father and mother. Right? That's a godly way to pray, because that's the will of God. Now, there's all sorts of situations to think through, obviously. But when you, see, when you hear someone start to pray, I just pray that they would help to forgive these people that are causing them so much pain. You've got to watch out. There's a place for that. But a lot of times, it's worldly and devoid of the Spirit. It's just natural passions. Um, someone who is going through like a, a breakup. You've got to be very careful how you pray. Because that person's going to be distraught. And you've got to be very careful. Oh, I just pray that, that you would really help that person that broke up with them to just, you know, see that they were evil and has really broken someone's heart. Well, that, that may or may not be <laughs> what we need to pray. We could, be, we could need to pray, Lord, thank you for bringing this person to this situation so that now they can finally see how to resign themselves to your will and not follow their own passions or, or whatever. And th- th- there's all kinds of different examples, okay? Those are just two that really hit home for a lot of us. Relationship to our parents and um, romantic relationships. They really hit home and they really can mess up the way that we view God. And we can start to pray around those situations in worldly ways. Does that make sense? Instead of building ourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. I'm not saying don't be sensitive to people who are hurting. Right? That's not what I'm saying. It's very easy to go beyond being sensitive and start to be worldly and self-centered. All right. So that's one thing. The way we present the gospel, right? Because of what we're sort of sensing from someone in an emotional way, do we want to couch the gospel in a way that we think might be most palatable to them? This is what I think false teachers, how false teachers get their start. This person will like me more if I present the gospel this way. So I'm going to sort of exclude this part for now. I'll get back to it. I'll get around to it. You know, we'll talk about hell and repentance a little later. But right now, I think what they really need to know is just the love and the grace of God. I think that that may be the case. But that tendency also might be of the flesh and of the world and false and flattering, okay? How we offer advice, right? When someone has a need or a difficulty in their life, is our goal to tell them what they most need to hear so that they can bring God the maximum glory through the situation? Or do we want to sort of sympathize with them, semi-gossip with them about their hardship, right? These are all things that, are, that can creep up among us very easily, okay? So the first thing we need to do is, is look at ourselves and say, how do, I, how do I pray through situations? Is it in the Holy Spirit according to the will of God? How do I offer advice? How do I present the gospel? These are areas that our passions can very quickly take over and our need to be accepted and our ignorance and feasting without fear. Oh, it's grace. No, don't, don't worry about it. God, it's, it's fine. Well, you might need to deliver a hard word to someone. 
Can you do it? Um, and the other thing is how we live in community. Do we, do we feed off of the community? we feed ourselves? Do we really enjoy the protection and provision of the body? But when it comes down to it, maintain a distance between the body and our preferences and the way we like to, the things we like to consume, the things we like to do in our spare time. I think one of the things that Jude would say is that your personal preferences are everybody's business in the body. Okay? God is coming to reorder our whole lives, especially our desires. And so it's especially in those desires and those sort of private things, the sensuality, whatever that means for you, whether it's sneaking off to eat a Twinkie or whatever. Those are everybody's business. That's everybody's business in the body. Okay? And those are the things that God comes to say, I forgive you for being a self-pleasing person. Now come and be delivered from that and live an other-centered life. And we could talk all day long about... Oh, sorry, Julie. I'm, I'm trying to present this word. and I, 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 can, I, can I make this more palatable for you? <laughs> um, we can talk all day long about like how the, the tricky cultural issues and, well, how do you decide which was a PG-13 or R and, and how short are the skirts and how tight are the pants and all these things. But the bottom line is perfectly clear from Jude. If something is rooted in sensuality, personal passion or desire, whether it's through food or entertainment, sexual immorality, hobbies, materialism, just imbibing a pop culture, the spirit of the age, that divides the people of God. And that's the great tragedy. It allows... It exposes the people of God to division and to destruction. So, yeah, you can, you can stake your claim on what, wherever you are on the spectrum of any number of cultural issues. But if you're doing anything from a, from a place of wanting to preserve your little bubble of sensuality, then it's ungodly and it divides the people of God. And so many of those conversations are just people defending their own little sensual camp. Okay? And, and underneath it is someone doesn't want to give something up. Doesn't want to renounce some sort of passion or pleasure. God wants us to have dialogue. And we need to have hard conversations. But at the outset, we need to renounce the defense of any sort of sensuality. And I think a lot of times that, that doesn't go on as deeply as it needs to before we get into the little scuffles about what movies we can watch or not. No, not to each his own. That can, that, well, that can easily lead to sensuality because we're easily deceived in our own hearts. So we need to allow the word of God to come and penetrate our hearts, search our hearts, to allow the community of people who are seeking truth to also judge our hearts and our desires and do what we together have discovered to be the will of God.
it's very easy to pervert the grace of God into license. And following the leading of the Holy Spirit to each his own leads to that very quickly. Now, everyone has to have a personal relationship with God. But truth is arrived at in community. If something's true, I will find it out just as much as you will find it out. And in that, we can have agreement. Right? So, that's a longer conversation. But I would say one of the things this book is cautioning against is just follow the Holy Spirit in your heart. Because I think that these false teachers were following the Holy Spirit in their heart. And what it turned out to be was not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It was their own passions. Uh, And he says they're devoid of the Spirit. And so he says, you all, together, build yourself up, build your community up in faith, and pray together in the Holy Spirit. Okay, So we've got to be careful not to just say, all right, me as an individual, I've got to make all the decisions for my life and then go and seek the will of God. Does that make sense, the, the caution there? I think there's, there's an element of truth to what you said, and I, and I think I understand that, but the caution needs to be made. Um, we, are not, we don't do well with that sort of freedom <laughs> as a human race. Uh, particularly in this, in this time and age. So sensuality can easily become a perversion of grace. Um, so that's, that's in examining ourselves. But then we have to ask ourselves, how do we, right? Because this is a caution against the false teachers. You know, how do we make sure that our lives are not being influenced and led astray by false teaching? In other words, you, you might ask, so where, who are the false teachers today? And you might think up the, the person that's most obnoxious to you uh, or the, the Christian band that's most obnoxious to you or the televangelist that's most obnoxious to you and say, it's them. Um, and you might be right. But I would say, in general, that where these people are to be found are where there are grumblers, malcontents, loudmouthed people, showing favoritism to gain advantage. I mean, that's what the word says. (laughs) That's what Jude says. Who are these people? Grumblers, malcontents, loud-mouthed, showing favoritism. And I love the the actual Greek here. It's um, awing faces, wowing faces. So I would say, look for the wowed faces and look at what they're looking at, and you might find a false teacher. Right? Look at where the people go, wow! <laughs> and you might, you might find a false teacher. And how do these people get in? Oh, I think the gates are wider open now than they've ever been. Social media. Um, books, Christian trends. I mean, stuff just proliferates. Uh, we have to be very careful. Right? And I think this is one of, the, one of the reasons that local churches are so important, because we need local communities of people to sift through all the stuff and say, all right, who, what's really legitimate and what's really a false teaching? And where we find 
these influences and these people, we need to keep it out, shut the doors. Uh, and, and say, we as a people know what we're called to do. So, you know, for example, the way that, you know, the way we do child training really hasn't changed in 40 years. But you will find people that, that will turn red in the face when you tell them how you train your children. Really? People who are very active and godly and involved in their church. They will, they will start to seethe in anger. When you mention using a rod to discipline your children. They will, they will become... In, I'm serious. And some of you have, have... I grew up as a homeschooler who was not... You know, homeschooling is, is a lot more mainstream than it was in the early 90s. Is more of an obscure thing. It's sort of first generation... And you would tell people that you homeschooled, and it would light a fire under people. I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah. But it would be like, they would, it was like this combination of insecurity and uh, I, don't, I don't know what it was. What's that? Judgment. Yeah, judgment. And you're like, we're just trying to do the best we can here. But any number of things that we do, you will find Christian people well spoken of by the Christian community who will, who will absolutely denounce what you're doing in a loud-mouthed way, a very grumbling way. Okay, these, this is what we have to watch out for. All right, so there's a lot of different directions <laughs> we could go in all of that. Um, but I love, how, I love how the book closes out. He says, all right, and now... To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So you don't get sucked into this stuff. And to preserve, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. None of those blemishes, none of any of that. He's able, and it, it, it all comes back to his ability to, it comes back to grace. What he's describing here is grace fully received. It's his power, saves you and makes your life look like Jesus. Grace saves you, and as it says in Titus, it trains you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's a function of grace. And to deny that function of grace is to put yourself in the camp of people who God has had it out for since the, <laughs> since the very beginning. And who has a special place prepared for. So those who would accept the first part of salvation but then balk at the second part of grace. Don't understand grace or mercy at all. They don't understand. Uh, they deny the master, Lord, uh, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We, in the flesh, we are clothed in garments and they're stained by the flesh. And God has to get through all of the layers of that and get that final layer off. And, and it has to go deep. And sensuality goes deep. We hold it close. Sin clings really closely. But God has to get there and get all of it off. And we need to help each other. He said, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So this is something that's written to a group of people, and it's an encouragement. 
the grace that these people don't understand, if you walk in it, you will be blameless before him. If you together as a community embrace this grace and all that it enables you to do and all the corners of your life that it wants to infiltrate and transform, you will be presented blameless before God with great joy. And that sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) That's what I want. And far be it for me, as we said in the beginning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I want to be a part of a people that if I begin to do things in a sensual way and just feed off of everyone, I would hope that you show me mercy with, with fear <laughs> and that you would snatch me out of the fire. And I, I think that that's, that's all of our desire in here. Amen? Um, so I wanted to do communion at the end because uh, I want to call us to feast with reverence. And that's really what we do when we come to communion. We freely receive the grace of God and, and the freedom that that means in our lives. We have been freed from sin that we could have never freed ourselves from. We have been forgiven of sins that we couldn't even imagine forgiving others for doing to us. We would not be, we would have no capacity. God has forgiven us of those sins. But that is not a license to continue then along those same destructive patterns of sensuality and self-centeredness. So as we come to communion this morning, every time communion is, that Paul mentions it, he says, come, but examine yourselves. And I think another way of saying that in Jude's terms would be come feast with fear, with reverence. Don't think you're worthy of this. Don't think that this gets you off of any sort of hook. This is, an, this is a means of grace into your life to make you more like Jesus. And so come and receive it fully if that's your desire. If you want to be like Jesus, come and, and admit that you could have never done it on your own, but that you want to allow the grace of God to have its full effect in your life, uh, to present you before him in great joy, blameless. Amen? Let's pray.